Welcome to the Beach Grove United Methodist Church podcast, where you can hear our Sunday morning sermons in audio form and take them wherever you go. A reminder that if you want to watch the entire service, our services are available on our YouTube channel linked in the podcast notes. We would love it if you would subscribe to the podcast so that new sermons come into your feed as soon as they are available, and you can do this using your favorite podcasting app. We would love it if you would help to support the missions and ministries here at Beach Grove through your tithes and your offerings. A donation link is also linked in the notes below. And lastly, find us on Facebook and Instagram to follow along with all the fun things happening at Beach Grove, whether you live in Suffolk, Virginia or not. We hope you enjoyed this week's message, and please don't forget to share it with others. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found. I invite you to pull out your notes page there as we get our time started this morning. Uh, Welcome back to having notes there as we go along through this sermon. I also invite you to take a pen or a pencil out if you so desire. If you want to add your own thoughts, there is... Uh, space somewhere uh, on there or, um, you know, in the in the pews, there might be some cards if you want some extra notes. If you are joining us online, the sermon notes are there in the description of this video. Um, and I invite you to pull those up if you are able to as we work our way through this sermon today. But before we hear God's word for us, let us have a prayer. Let us pray with one another and for one another. Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you. That, Lord, through your word for us this day, we would continue to learn and grow in this living hope that is embodied in our Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You know, as I uh, reflect on the gospel that we dove into on Easter Sunday and the way in which we talk about Jesus' ministry, I I think to myself, one of the greatest testaments to Jesus' ministry, yes, is the life that he lived, yes, is the example that he offered to us, but even more so, I think, are the disciples. And I'm I'm not just talking about the twelve. Right, Because there are millions upon millions of disciples of Christ as we think about the world and how it exists for us today. Right, The greatest testament to Christ's ministry on earth are the people who follow him. I'm talking about every disciple, every saint that the church has ever had that has given their life in the mystery to faith, in ministry to faith. You know, it's one thing in our society, especially these days, to claim we are a Christian, right? And I think the fact that many of us claim we are Christian often does not do justice to the fact when we see other people who are unwilling to claim the word Christian, not because they don't think that it's important to believe in Christ, but more so because it is important for us and it is an entirely other thing for us to live as though Christ has truly changed our life. And so when we talk about the life of a Christian, the life of a Christian of the Christian faith, we look and we see the way that we live into this living hope that we heard from first Peter in the first week. Well, we heard it from from Reverend John the first week of this series, but it was right there in first Peter verse three. 
And the reason that the writer here in 1 Peter talks about a living hope is not because he is trying to relay that Christ is still alive in a physical manner. Right? He's not saying Jesus is still alive physically. He is a human being here on earth. No, the writer in 1 Peter is trying to convey a living hope as the spirit of Christ continuing to be alive in us. Christ is alive through each and every one of us, ministering and witnessing to our faith each and every day. We are the living hope of Christ. The way we live and serve in this world is what portrays that nature that Christ died for in the first place. And it's not lost on us that as we live this life as beacons of God, we, of the God we believe in, that we would be seen as believers for how we live and interact with the world. There's a reason that one of our hymns is, they'll know we are Christians by our love. We find oftentimes in our hymnary the very theology that we believe in. But you see, this ideology, this understanding becomes so much more complicated when we dive into our passage today. Because such an ideology of living into love often does not create space or an understanding, a true understanding of pain and suffering. How we understand, how we perceive suffering to begin with. Right, and we can see this in the way that we as human beings react to suffering in our world. Not just in our own personal lives, but even the way that we act when other people are suffering. Right, we as Christians often sit here and we want to proclaim that the world's suffering is, is complaining or is mitigated by some other circumstances. But we often don't sit and listen and hear what that suffering is like. And so when we talk about a living hope, when we look here at where Peter is directing us, we begin to see a deeper nature of suffering, not as it exists in the world. Because I wish I could say we won't suffer. It's one of my great, like, regrets of being a pastor. I thought in becoming a pastor, I could end all suffering in the world. Um, I thought as soon as the bishop laid hands on me, world peace would exist. Boy, was I wrong. Like, I missed that by a few million miles. But in our understanding of suffering, in our approach, in what suffering looks like both in our individual lives, in the lives of those in our community, and in the lives of those across creation, because when we suffer, one of the things we try to do is we try and compare our suffering against other people. And friends, that is a futile effort. <coughs> because a dead bird in my yard, which is maybe destroying something in my yard, is very much not the type of suffering that we look towards in this world. Now, here's the other side of that is we should never think our suffering to be so trivial that it does not require healing and reconciliation. But it does require us to understand our own suffering in context of our faith. Because what ends up happening is when we begin to understand the base of suffering, that is pain, right? When we suffer, we are 
in lack of a better phrase, we are in pain for some reason. It may be futile and unhealthy to compare suffering, but what suffering does for us when we address it in the fullness of our faith is it creates an understanding of empathy within ourselves. And it bases itself on our understanding of God. How we see and how we understand God, especially here in this passage from 1 Peter. Because, friends, empathy is part of a living hope that we hold on to as disciples, right? My pain throughout my life does not make me an expert on pain. The suffering that I've endured in my life does not make me an expert on suffering. I wish it did because, again, I just want to solve all of the pain and suffering in the world. I want to make it go away, right? I wish it did. But you know what my suffering has taught me? It has taught me that when I'm hurting, one of the things that I need is not just a God, not just a Savior, but a person to listen to my pain. A God and a Savior and maybe another person participating in my healing. And in that, I learn what it means to be an empathetic person in the presence of suffering. It doesn't make me an expert in other people's suffering. Because there is no way on God's green earth that I could ever understand systemic suffering. There is no way on God's green earth that I can have any understanding of suffering that any one of you are experiencing. Yes, I've lost loved ones. Yes, I've had pain and hurt in my life. But I don't experience my suffering the same way that you do. But you know what my suffering has taught me? Is that because I had someone who sat and listened to me complain, and yes, complain, in my anger, and in my hurt, and in my pain, it teaches me that I'm called to do the same. And friends, that's what we hear right here in 1 Peter. That's what we hear because at the heart of this verse, at the heart of what we read in these closing verses, is a matter of faith, a matter of understanding the nature of suffering within humanity. And it is connected to our nature of suffering and what it means for us to be in community together. Because we remember that, yes, while I have my personal belief in God, I have my personal experience of God. The way that I live out my faith is within the context of community. And so when we read passages like this, we often we want to say and use this as sort of this justification for suffering in the world, right? We want to say, like, this passage tells us we suffer because it builds faith. It makes us more faithful Christians to suffer. And I think to myself, that's great, but why do we have to suffer to begin with? Right? We also learn here that God does not cause suffering. We learn that multiple times in the Bible. God does not cause our suffering. Our suffering comes from living in a broken world, a world that has distorted God's image, a world that fails to live into the vision that God has set before it, a world that fails to live up to the kingdom that God has planned for it. And that's what leads to suffering, friends. That's what leads to suffering. And so if suffering is going to exist, because naturally the world is broken, unfortunately, then what is the role that we play? What is the role that we play? And how do we live into and embody that living hope? And yes, we name that suffering builds our relationship with God. Why? Because in our suffering, who do we turn to? Louder. Like the people online need to hear us. Who do we turn to? God. 
And when we suffer, who is going to play a pivotal role in helping to heal us? God. Peter writes, for you were going astray like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. I love that phrase, guardian of the souls. I talked about the shepherd with the kids because I wasn't really sure 100% how to do guardians. That, that, that field a little, felt a little off, not because they don't have guardians and parents, but because of the way that guardians is understood in this passage. You see, the word that's used for guardians here is episcopon. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Do we have one of those in our church somewhere? Yeah, we have Episcopal leaders. But see, there's a reason. There's a reason. And there's an intention when disciples are using these words. Because Episcopon, the basic understanding of it is overseer. Now, does that make sense for what our bishop does in our church? Bishop Sue, I'm sorry if you're watching this. I'm not, I'm not bad-mouthing her, I promise. But overseer. Right? Our bishop oversees this regional area that we live in, in Virginia. And bishops across the United Methodist Connection do the same. They, they oversee an area. And so what is Peter saying here? Peter is saying that God is a guardian. God is an episcopon of our souls. God oversees our souls. What greater comfort and peace can we have in life that God is the comforter, God is the protector, God is the one who resides with us when things are going wrong. God is the guardian of our souls. Right? We know that in our suffering that we are led astray, our hurt and pain, they affect our understanding of everything, especially our understanding of who God is. And yet, when we turn and reorient ourselves to God, we are brought into greater relationship because we know that God is there. And again, it's not done in a comparative sense because we look and we see here how Peter is talking about it. Right, and Peter tells us about the suffering of Christ right there in verse 21. If you want to underline it, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. And Peter continues on to talk about the suffering of Christ. And here it is, friends. Peter is not doing this to say Christ suffered, so suck it up. He's not doing that. Peter's saying, look at what Christ went through. Look at where Christ went and look at what Christ did. Christ suffered and God was there and God was present in it. And in the resurrection, we gain and understand this living hope. And as he goes along to unpack this, Peter begins to help us to understand suffering. Not the nature of suffering, but an understanding of how we can heal in suffering. Right, we are called to understand suffering in the narrative of our own life and faith. How do I respond to suffering in my life? And this is, and it's very individualized right now, right? I am trying to understand how has God helped me through my suffering? What has God done for me in this moment? Because that is the lesson that we learn to understand suffering. And then it feeds into our communal understanding of suffering so that we can then be the presence of God, the spirit of God for other people. Because Christ suffered, because Christ knows what suffering is like, true human suffering, right? We can look throughout the, throughout the Hebrew scriptures, throughout the Old Testament, we can see times where God weeps, where God is upset, where God suffers. And apparently for humans, there was a disconnect. But we can look here and we can see Christ and we know that the pain that Christ went through and that Christ suffered in a way that we can understand 
And so because Christ suffered, because Christ knows suffering, he sits with us in our pain. And we are afforded the space to process our suffering, to find healing. And as we process these experiences with God and others around us, we move into this space. We move beyond it or even learning what it means to live with this nature in our lives. There is suffering that is difficult to hear. There is suffering that functionally changes who we are. And yet God is there as a presence helping us, encouraging us, guardianing us, not gardening, guardianing us. As we contemplate what it looks like, as we begin to heal, the lessons that we learn become a living testament then for Christ. Right? As we consider our relationship with one another, we consider the role that God plays for us as a listening ear, as a point of comfort. And for humans, like, this becomes what we're bad at. Because not only do we not like suffering, not only do we not often have a plan to, to solve it, but we want healing almost immediately. We want our problems to kind of just go away. And I mean, there's a lot to that. There's, I mean, there's a lot to that. A lot, of, a lot of hurt and pain is really difficult to deal with. But Peter looks at the suffering of Christ as the connection to the divine. And when we look at that, and when we understand it, and when we see it in the context of our lives, Suffering could be something that could pull us away from our faith. And I've seen it happen to people. I've seen it happen to numerous friends. That some sort of tragic event, some sort of traumatic event happens, and it destroys their faith. And rather than turn to God to try to find healing, to try to find peace, they forsake their faith. And we begin to see the way in which our faith becomes a grounding point for us when things are going wrong. Unfortunately, it's not going to solve all of our problems. It's not going to take care of it overnight. And that's the difficult thing that we as humans have trouble with. But I promise you that your faith will build resilience. And that's a probably terrible word to use in this scenario, but I can't think of another one. Because the faith that surrounds you your faith in God, your faith in God through this community, your faith in God through your friends and through your family, those are going to be the things that help to heal you. And the living hope yeah. is that it's meant for more than just beyond no. you. Because we return to this idea that not only is Peter trying to get us to understand this nature of, of healing through suffering individually, but he's also trying to get us to think about it as a communal faith as well. We all have, I'm guessing, because we've had lives, that there is a lot of suffering that has taken place in this room. Am I right? Some of that has been healed. Not all of it. I'm not going to be so bold as to say all of our suffering is healed. Some of that has been healed. Some of that has been processed through. Whether... You had spiritual help from a pastor, from another friend in this community. That has taught you something 
about what that living hope is. And my job as a pastor is to take that individual faith and try and feed it for a communal understanding of the gospel. And so what I say is that in our learning, in our understanding, we learn that nature of empathy and it allows us to listen and understand and hear, truly hear, without trying to fix the suffering of others. And we do that to try and continue this work of kingdom building. You know, we live in a society that functions under systemic injustices. You know, probably like, oh, he's going off on it again. But, but here's the question. Knowing your suffering and everything that you've gone through, have you ever sat down with a black person and listened to their story? Have you ever sat down with someone who has been incarcerated wrongly and listened to their pain? Have you ever sat down with someone who has been the victim of sexual abuse and listened to their story? Have you ever sat down with the disenfranchised of our society and listened to their story? Friends, I am always here for you. Know that. I am here for you. If you're having a bad day, if you're having a bad week, if you are in the midst of pain and suffering, I am here. And I say that because we are called to do the same for others. And this is, I mean, it's a two-part sermon because we focus on both the individual and the communal. The empathy that we learn from God, the nature in which God sits and listens to us in our pain, is the same empathy that we offer to others in the name of God. Right? God does that for you. The people of God have done that for you. Your pastor, your congregation, your friends, your family, they have done that for you. We don't try and fix it because Lord knows I don't have the solutions for any of these problems. Again, wish I did. Apparently I need the bishop to lay hands on me a few more times and, and give me more of that God strength. But we can ask questions. What does your pain look like? And what does your healing look like? And friends, healing is going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be uncomfortable, but it's where God leads us to. It's the nature of the kingdom that lives in this world, that resides in the here and now, and it's the promise of a living hope. Because the living hope is a world without suffering. What a great world to live in. But it's going to take all of us, all Christians all around creation, to work with God and to work with other people. I remind us that the living Christ is not a human being, or at least one human being, like Christ was when he was on the earth. The living Christ is each and every one of us. It's the spirit that resides in each and every one of us. And so we are called to extend that living hope to others. The psalm that goes with this week's lectionary passage um, is one that everybody here, most everybody here probably knows. Um, probably one of the most well-known psalms, well-known verses in scripture, it's Psalm 23. And... I love it because within David's words in this psalm are just comfort. 
doesn't try to solve a problem, doesn't try to do anything, but David just sits with us. There's a reason that we read Psalm 23 at funerals, not because we think that Psalm 23 is going to fix all of the grief anywhere and everywhere that exists in our lives. But as a reminder to those who are grieving that God is with us. All right, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his namesakes. Even though I walk through the darkest valleys, I fear no evil for your rod and your staff. They are with me. They comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Hear that again. Because I'm sure now you're all saying it in your heads. I hear a God who sits with there, who sits there with me. Who is with me in my darkest times. Who is with me in my brightest times. Who is comforting me and who is guiding me. And yet I can't help but think that there are people in this world who have not gotten that. Who have not gotten that, who not only just, they get it from God, but they don't get it from the church. They don't get it from their neighbor. They don't get the extended comfort that God offers to them. Even though I walk through the darkest valleys, you are with me. These are words of comfort amid affliction, not a problem solving, but they are words that rest at the heart of the eternal presence of God. If only we could all have the eternal presence of comfort of Psalm 23, of God and of Christ. Amen.